This episode of Where Did It All Go Right is sponsored by Pearson. Pearson is the world's learning company, supporting talent and helping everyone to make progress in their lives through learning. Working with teachers and education experts, Pearson provides a wide range of qualification routes so you can pick the course which suits you best to develop your skills and stand out in the crowd. Visit them online at go.pearson.com forward slash where did it all go right. Hello, welcome along to Where Did It All Go Right? I'm Ali Jones and in this podcast we talk to creatives about the pivotal moments in their careers and we hope to inspire and entertain you. So this week's guest is broadcaster, writer and now social media sensation Andrew Cotter. You'll have heard Andrew commentate on the golf, the rugby, the Olympics, the tennis. Basically, if it's a big sporting event, he'll probably be there. However, the pandemic changed all that and all sporting events were cancelled, so Andrew channelled his creative powers into making videos of his dogs, Olive and Mabel. They've been watched all over the world millions of times and led to the writing of the book, Olive, Mabel and Me. So how did Andrew get to do the job he loves? Well, I'll let him tell you that. You did the Six Nations commentary at the weekend. It must have been so lovely to get back well, commentating. You say that, and in a way it was. Um, in a way it was, but it was such a shell of what sports usually is because we were there in Llanethly, and this isn't about <laughs> anti um for the Llanethly listeners. It was nothing to do with that. <laughs> it was the fact that it was, you know, usually Wales, Scotland is, um, you know, when it's in Wales, is in Cardiff, and the Principality Stadium, as it's now called, 70,000 fans, and the atmosphere in the Six Nations is just incredible, and there was, you know, nobody there. So it felt like a training ground match. It just didn't feel like the Six Nations at all. So it was nice to be trying to sort of move on and do sport, um, but it wasn't It wasn't really sport as we know it. Just a bit weird, I'm sure. It was weird, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and exactly, and, and when you're commentating and you can either have the feed of, the, the sort of canned laughter feed of, of general crowd hubbub, or you can have nothing, and it's, I don't, it, it's just... Yeah, weird is the word for it, and it's it's sort of a, a televisual spectacle because the, you know to be there actually at the ground is is the best thing. It's nice to look. It's nice to be out and about. I suppose that's the. <laughs> uh, it's nice to get out, isn't it? Um, yes, it but is. in terms of uh, in terms of actually, oh, yeah, it, it was very difficult to get into and to to really enjoy and immerse yourself in. Yeah, because you as a commentator, I imagine you feed off the crowd and the whole atmosphere. And you, yeah. you, you just couldn't do that. I, I think I saw a tweet from you. There was quite a lot of swearing that you could pick up. But yeah, you, you can't can really do. commentate on that. Can yeah, you? well, that was in the that was in the evening match when I was watching it on TV because the French uh, the, the the feed coming in from France they hadn't included any crowd noise for much of it. Um, so then you just hear absolutely. I mean, you can imagine um, you know rugby players in the heat of battle are just um, swearing like troopers. So it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, usually we would have to... The sweariest event I ever had to do my most apologies for on air was actually the boat race one year. Where the oh, cocks, really? Oh, yeah, the cocks of uh, the Oxford crew just just lost it. And they're always warned beforehand because there's a, they say, well, 
uh, you're going to be mic'd up and we'll be coming to your camera. And so everything everything you say will be heard. They say, yeah, absolutely, no swearing, of course not. And this guy just let off 11 F-bombs during the whole thing. In <gasps> fact, the last shot of the whole program is he was chucked into the water. It was a nice way of, of, uh, of sort of signing <laughs> off from him was he just stood up and said, that's, ah, oh, the water's so effing cold. And, uh, <laughs> And I think the last words were, bye-bye from Oscar Zarilla. I'll name him, shame him, the, uh, the Oxford uh, cock. So um, actually, but but yes, when there's no crowd, when there's no crowd at games, you can hear, you can hear the players so clearly, which I quite like. I quite like to hear all that chat, um, sweary uh-huh. or otherwise. But the reverse side of it is that um, everybody on the pitch, if the stand is close enough to the pitch, can hear you as a commentator as well, which they can't usually do at all. And quite often you're sitting very close to the coaches, the management set up and the replacements there might be right in front of you as they were in Clenethley. And um, so, you know, you're terrified about getting things wrong or making any critical statement about it. It was the coaches turn around and go, come on, who, you, that player's not even on the pitch anymore, the guy you're naming at the moment. So, And, and you'd probably be maybe getting more swearing and more abuse directed your way. So that's that's not pleasant yeah, at all, no, is it? No, no. <laughs> so, so the first lockdown, because now obviously we just yesterday, second lockdown started. So first lockdown happened. And for you, there must have been so much uncertainty because I remember to start with, it was a bit like Olympic Games are happening. Uh, oh, they're a bit delayed. Okay, they're not happening. So do you remember the, the actual time when you thought, yeah. that's it, Yeah, everything is over? Yeah, it was March the 13th, Friday the 13th. And um, oh, I was, um, it, you know, sort of bookended the, the, the many, many, many months of no work at all was the Wales-Scotland game because I was getting ready to go down to do the Wales-Scotland game as originally planned in Cardiff. On the Friday, I was getting ready to go down and... And uh, just as I was about to get into the car, the uh, text came in from the, the editor saying, no, the game's off. Um, and then within two minutes, there was an email from uh, the Masters uh, where and, and they said, um, yeah, we're postponing the Masters. And the London Marathon went that day. And then within a few days after that, it was the Olympics and Wimbledon and the, the Open Championship. And the boat race went, everything. So oh. it was suddenly, you know, you're, we're all, we were all sort of laughing at the ridiculousness of it originally and then just very quickly the laughter died away and you're going actually you know don't do any work this is quite serious so there yeah. was a lot of that so it was um especially when i put out the first video it was done you know as oh a bit of a laugh hey isn't this ridiculous but also you know um there's real genuine uh, concern behind behind the laughter <laughs> so yeah I, c- I can imagine and also because for you sport is such a big part of your life not just commentating but you couldn't even go out and go on a golf course could you because no, that, that all stopped no, too no exactly although I have re- retired from playing golf anyway because of a dodgy hip but I could you couldn't okay. um but for so many people and you know golf has this image of being this stuffy sport Listen, it's not where I come from anyway, um, but it, it's just the sport of anybody and everybody. And for so many people and so many um, older people as well, it is their, you know, it is their exercise outside and um, getting away for four, four, four hours or, or more and just wandering around with friends. And the thing is, golf, you can be absolutely socially distanced. And so that was very frustrating for a lot of people. But um, I, I was able to carry on. I was able to carry on running like a maniac and, and cycling. <laughs> so although suddenly so got I got out, but suddenly the roads were, were, were full of cyclists and the paths were full of runners. And I was one of these uh, 
original runners going, hey, who who do you think you are? Who do you think you are enjoying the outdoors and keeping fit? Come on, you show me your Strava, um, show me your Strava loggings from six months ago. No, you haven't got any. Then you can't come no. out now. Yeah, exactly. You see, it's people like me and my husband who started doing Couch to 5K mm. and... Uh, but you see, it was depressing because you see, we would start out doing this kind of running for two minutes, just nearly dying. And there'd be people like you who would run past us, looking at probably a little bit of pity, probably. Mm. No, but going, people like us, yeah, people like us accelerate when we're coming past as well to make it look as if this is the speed we oh, always run you? at. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, God, this. No, no, I'm, I'm fine. This is actually just a gentle training run. And then <laughs> just around the bend or just covered by the trees there, we'll just slow down and go, start dying. And kind of keel over. Yeah, but you right. have got all the kit as well. You see, we don't have the kit. You've got, because you've done it for ages. I'm well, sure kit, I mean, kit. honestly, the kit is, uh, in terms of running, now it's so important. I'm 47, and my, you know, your joints start to fall apart, and um, <laughs> you know, you get the right shoes. And I could go into any any number of details about how all the shoes now, which are built for speed, are actually brilliant for people in middle age because they give you back the elasticity in your calves and your Achilles that you that you okay. don't have anymore. So yeah, so I've been finding quiet country lanes to to run on and um yeah it's uh, we're going into some great exercise detail here we but, uh, are aren't we are. but it's uh, important yeah. uh, isn't it though the it exercise is, it's it is so actually, important at the start. moment it really is but when you talked about that you've retired from golf now but i know you started playing when you were three so did your parents just have this big plan to make you a golf professional then no was god it no some... absolutely not no 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 and i i was about to say i hate parents were like that but i don't I just I, I'm so wary of parents like that because it's just ridiculous you know and and you see it quite often in golf and in tennis and uh the over um, sort of pushy parents who clearly want the success more for themselves than they do for the children or they want to live through their children. Um, so no, 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 we just did all sports and it's just it just so happened that I grew up in Troon, which is a real golf town and, you know, it, yeah. it's just... Um, Picking up a golf club there is as natural as kicking a football about. So it was just a sport that was big in the family, but rugby was as well, and, and football, and all sport. We did everything. You, you just do everything. And that's what I would always encourage all children to do. Do as many sports as as you can for as long as you can. You know, if you want to specialise in a sport later on because you really love it, then great. But mm. if you're specialising in a sport from the age of three, you're going to be Jennifer Capriati-style burnt out by <laughs> oh, 20. Oh, God, so. yes. <laughs> So when did you decide that I actually love playing sport, but I actually want to talk about it? Did you, were you one of these people? I'm I'm dreadful. I used to record into my tape recorder, and like obviously like the sound of my voice. Were you one of those? <laughs> I, was I one who liked the sound of your voice? Yes, I was. <laughs> I, I I no, I was very much not that, and it's uh, it's very interesting because a lot of people in broadcasting. Uh, have been those who have, you know, from a very young age wanted to broadcast, wanted to be on the radio or the television or whatever. And it wasn't, I just, it wasn't a, a, a long held or grand plan of mine. I, you know, I was at university and after university, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. M my qualification, my degree of French and philosophy qualifies you for absolutely bugger all. So, <laughs> it, so that didn't help. And then, you know, about a year after, I was working as a waiter um, in a cocktail bar when I met you. I was working oh. as a waiter um, uh, in Glasgow and suddenly, you know, well, I wasn't suddenly thought out. Throughout my time working as a, a waiter, you know, I I knew that this was just a holding position until I finally decided what I wanted to do. And I thought, well, I'd, I'd like to work with my love of language. It was always, a, you know, a stronger side of things for me than anything sort of... Um, 
you know, I, I, I was, um, you know, as I said, French and philosophy university, but before that it was German and I, I loved English and um, uh, maths, physics, any sciences were slightly beyond me. Uh, so I, I wanted to, to use language and then you want to sort of move on. And this restaurant that I was working in was a, a sort of big media hangout in Glasgow and you used to see the people coming in and you used to see those people and think, oh, you know, I'd quite like to be part of that that circle, that life, that they look like they're having looks, a grand old time. Yeah, <laughs> it looks glamorous. It looks show busy, <laughs> and that's that's a lure for a young person. There's no doubt about yeah. it. But I did. How did I, they look glamorous? They were just sitting there. They look looking... drunk, is what they oh. look. No, no, no. They didn't. They did. I don't know. It just. It seemed to be you could hear as you were circling with the plates and with the glasses and with the cutlery and whatever dishes, you could hear mm. them talking about the programmes they'd been making because it was a big place where people from BBC Scotland would come in um, okay. and talk about, oh, there's all there's the cast of Taggart coming in and sitting down. <laughs> um, so it was just, I don't know, it was exciting. Stephen Fry's come in, Stephen Fry's here. Mick Jagger yeah. came in, you know, this was... So it was actually quite a, a, a it, yeah. trendy place. I hope they were... Because sometimes waiters get short shrift. I hope they were, they were kind to you because sometimes you know they just people sit over their plates don't they and ignore you and I always mm. try and pass my plate I judge I judge people massively by how they treat waiters because I will always some people I, I you, you're sitting with them and they just I don't know they treat the waiters as if they are not really there at all yeah, and they're just ignored. and they're just chatting it's just totally ignored and yeah. I I think and it's not bec- it's not because of my experience working as a waiter. I'm sure that helps though, but it's just because of an innate sense of here's a person who is a person, <laughs> and so they're doing a job that you know they, it doesn't it doesn't. Oh, I just I have no time at all for people who treat people according to whether they feel they're on their level or not, and you see mm-hmm. that so often. Um, so yes, I, I there were some there were some good people, there were some some less good people, but actually all the <laughs> celebrities that I can remember coming in were very very pleasant indeed. Not least Frank McAvenny, the former West Ham and Celtic and Scotland uh, striker, who I spilt some uh, champagne over, but he was so nice about it. it was, so. Oh, well, that's all right. It wasn't red wine, so it you wasn't know. red wine. I said no. Champagne's all right, isn't yeah. it? So so that kind of you thought I want to get into this, and then you you worked at Scott FM, is that right? Scott doing, FM, doing sport yeah. or uh, doing everything. Well, I applied for a news job there, and uh, Scott FM. It no longer exists, unfortunately, but it served the Central Belt in Scotland, Glasgow and Edinburgh, and its sister station QFM in Paisley. Just southwest of Glasgow so I worked at those two stations I got offered a, I applied for a news job but they said well the news job's gone but I see you've got a lot of sporting interest on your CV so um, there is actually a job in the sports department so I, I leapt to that I actually got offered a job at the same time as um, from DC Thompson which is an old publisher a very old school publisher in Dundee I mean they do a lot of uh, papers like the Sunday Post and the Scots Magazine but also the Beano and the Dandy and things like that so oh. um, so I, I so and I took the broadcasting route and um, yeah I'm very glad I did so it was um, it was just a case of so there's a dog's face oh, at the window dog, so that's all all of it at the window at the, at the does door, Olive yeah. want a piece of the action well, she, no they've just come back in from their walk and oh, okay. uh, they're wondering, a, wondering why I wasn't on that walk and um, there was somebody with them as Ace and Dad okay. half. they didn't just go out on their own uh, much more they'd love to well I watched your, your Halloween video the other day and you just, they kind of just went out and then they came trick or treating so they're getting quite independent aren't they really but mm, obviously yeah. I, yeah, that, I'm sorry that's... that I interrupted that you didn't walk with them today no 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 that's fine that's actually quite Welcome. Although it is quite a nice morning this morning, which is rare it at this is. time of year. So, all oh, the trick or treat video, yes. Well, yes, there's some. <laughs> we'll come to that. We will. Some artifice there. 
Yeah. <laughs> so um, you, you you started commentating Scott FM. And you, well, I didn't commentate didn't... at Scott FM. No, I mean, Scott oh. FM was was on its uppers at the time. It had been take, taken over by people who were trying to flip it and make some money out of it. So it had it had started with grand plans to be a rival for BBC Scotland or for Clyde and Forth, who were the big commercial stations, and it had got some football rights. And just just as I arrived, it had just been sort of taken over and was, was being run basically on the cheap. But the good thing about that was that I then had to do everything. There were two people in the sports department, the guy who took me on, a chap called David McKinney, lovely man, and um, and me. And so two of us in the sports department, so you did everything. You did all the interviews, you did, you did the editing, you, you read the bulletins, you, it was just, it was a great way to learn because you didn't have a day off either. Uh, there was one time yeah. I did sixty-four days straight. Um, what? Yeah, well, it, and surely that's illegal. Well, possibly, but when you're young and you want to, you know, make your way in in the business, you don't mind. You do you do mind slightly, but you don't. It's just it has to be done. And when yeah. you know, we talk about working hard. You do you you work hard. That's how mm. that's how you get that's how you get on. Sadly, not sadly. It's just a matter of fact. <laughs> and also, if you're enjoying what you're doing, it well, doesn't yeah, feel exa- like exactly. Exactly. Um, and but there was no so there's no commentary there. I didn't commentate. I just I was reading bulletins and doing interviews and presenting programs. But in terms of commentary, I didn't start doing that until I finally, you know, got um, uh, the, the, you know, the, the hallowed gates open to the BBC and I went down there and it just started from there. And I guess it's just learning on the job, isn't it? But do you, did you listen to other commentators? And, and I'd always listen to commentators and broadcasters growing up and what you do is you try and pick a bit of, of what they do but never try and imitate them because you've, all, you've got your own, your own voice and your own sound and your own phraseology and, and so it's... Um, I think not that you've got to be a good a good mimic, but you've got to um, what I what I disliked about sports broadcasting was the sort of partridge-esque, um, you know, back at the net and it's all dramatic and and it's just so so do be be natural, be yourself. You can still be excited and sound um, dramatic and excited, uh, you know, in your own voice and sounding natural. It's um, but that's that's a, a a key thing that you learn that it's not there isn't a generic sports broadcaster mm-hmm. sound much though you know they, they have been maligned and identified as such over the years it's it's um it's just uh, it's the, the rises and falls of uh, of sport and the drama and the excitement and the lower points but all done within your own within your own sound i think i spoke to to rob walker uh, a while ago part of this podcast and he he does so much prep, and he said it's a lot of it is about the prep. Do you you must spend a long time? Well, yeah, no, it is absolutely the tip of the iceberg when you hear someone commentating at the weekend because you'll have done days and days of uh, of, of prep, and that is the torturous part of it. Sometimes it's quite fun as well because you get into it and you go, oh, I didn't realise he'd done that, or this season had been done that, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but and you've got to do it all, and ninety five percent of the notes you take and make and have in front of you, you'll never use. But it's you've got to have them there as that safety net for you. And while you're doing the notes, a lot of it is seeping in anyway, um, because you haven't really got time, especially when you're doing something like athletics or um, or rugby commentary. You haven't got time to look down yeah. at your notes all the time and look back up because the ball will have gone through three pairs of hands, or you, or the race will be over. So um, it's it's really sort of a lot of it has got to lodge in your head. Has that happened when you've looked down and you've missed something? Yeah, and there have been times where you know, through, for whatever reason, you are not as well prepared as you should be or could be. You 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 always try and keep it above a certain line. But definitely there have been times where I've had to look down on the notes and you look back up and you know you've just missed something. But there's a there's a, a great 
art or skill to commentary in that you can always buy yourself some time or you can cover up any number of silences with um, just general, say, phraseology or sounds or whatever it be. So it sounds fluent, whereas what you're doing is really just, as I say, covering up or buying yourself a little bit more time, especially when, uh, you know, there's a try scored by somebody who's at the bottom of a, you know, driving mall that goes over the line. It's just a heap of bodies and you can't see who's got it down. You don't want to get the wrong person, so what you do is you just wax lyrical about the try that's been coming for this team that's been dominating for the last five minutes and suddenly through this pair of hands and then this pair it went and it was a finally finished by and hopefully by that time the player has stood up with the ball and is getting patted on the back by their teammates and you go, of course it was scored by oh, that fella there, number five. Let me just check my notes. <laughs> so. Oh, it's so <clears throat> clever, but also with the athletics. I mean... Some of it is so fast, like you said, with the rugby, mm. that I just... I, do you practice a little bit well, at all? Uh, do you have there, a, a there vision of what you're going to say? Well, the 100 metres, for example, if you're doing 100 metres, you have 10 seconds or thereabouts. And in 10 seconds, first of all, you can't really afford a slip-up because you won't get it back and you'll be behind. So, But you're concentrating really on maybe three athletes. You can't name all eight in 10 seconds. Well, just naming all eight in 10 seconds, the race would be over. That's so <laughs> there's always a, a favourite in the 100 metres. And Usain Bolt would have been easy, from not easy, but for my colleague Steve Cram to commentate on all those years because it's all about him. So it's how <laughs> does his start go? Now, he, didn't, he never had a great start, Usain Bolt. So, you know, you, you know you're going to say... The first three seconds of the race are all about the start and how did he start. And then you might mention in the middle phase of the race, the other athletes who are, you know, trying to get back close to him or they're just being left behind or whatever, uh, how a British athlete might be going. And then it's back to Usain Bolt at the finish or whoever the dominant athlete is or whoever. The, when it's close, it's 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 more difficult, it's more exciting but it's um, in sprints. You generally know generally know how they're going to go. Um, but yeah, so so you would and you would um, in some races prepare a line for what you think m- might be going to happen. Um, just something about you know if they're if they're lining up and, uh, and and someone is on the outside lane and someone is inside. You know you'll have a and you know how they run so you can prepare something about their their language style or whatever it might be just for the back straight. So it's yeah. um, uh, but the the key thing is to try and ease that into the rest of your commentary without sounding clunky and pre-prepared because you can spot a pre-prepared line a long way off if you don't do it very well but if you do it well enough people think oh what a lovely line he's just thought of so um, I'd say sometimes (laughs) though sometimes though the very best sounding lines are ones that you've just thought of it just sounds a little bit more natural so it's kind of a mixture of both and with golf I mean it it sounds incredibly difficult because you've got to be really quiet and it could be absolutely chucking it down it's not the most easy situation to be to be in your your anorak collection must be quite impressive yeah i am i am an anorak well see the thing is <laughs> golf is a combination of two things it's it's commentary done by people in the commentary studio in the commentary box and it's done by on course commentators now yeah. i st- started out doing on course commentary but i don't do that anymore on the radio, it's all done on course, but um, in television, I'm in the box, and, uh, you know, and have been for many years. So you don't, you, you don't get wet, and it's all much more controlled, and it's fine. But yes, it is a lot of talking. Well, pretty much at this level here, and um, yeah, and and with the the sore throat I have today, which is nothing more serious than a cold, I'd hasten to add. But it is. But but then it it does get sounds unlikely, but it does get dramatic at times in golf, and so you have to be able to go from this 
just looking at the the sort of sound graphs of the various sports is uh, would be interesting. <laughs> I promise me, mm. it would be interesting. That's why I have anoraks. It would you be mentioned. Interesting. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> it just with that, aren't we? it bumbles along the bottom the the graph of golf commentary, and then there'll be a peak. Whereas athletics just goes in one big crescendo straight up to the the numor, and um, mm. uh, you know rugby would be massive peaks and 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 troughs all the way. Um, so golf is yes, largely talking at this level here, but then someone you know on a Sunday afternoon rolls in an eagle putt to take the lead, then you're you're giving it as as large, giving it as large as you would anything else so, <laughs> to use the technical term. <laughs> and with all these different different events that you've commentated on, um, it was one thing I guess leads to another. It's it's building your profile from from, the, yeah. from that very beginning, yeah. and just hoping that somebody asks you to do from one thing to the next. Yeah, it is. And, and, and the way things worked at the BBC, um, and I, I, I'm not sure what it's, it's like in terms of starting off anymore at the, at the BBC, but it was very much just, let's give you a shot and see if you can do it. And it was sink or swim. And um, there wasn't a huge amount of feedback in those days either. It was just, are you OK to do the game next week as well? And it was, so it was, um, it was kind of learning on the, on the job. There's a great trainer of commentators now called Rob Nothman, who you might know is a Rob Nothman's a lovely man and a good broadcaster himself as well. So he, he's been there and done all sorts of things over many years. And he actually does train new commentators coming in. But um, but at the time, it was very much just, yeah, you must, I mean, nobody would even, I was about to say, you know, people would say, yeah, that was okay, but you didn't even get that. It was just, um, just, just come back next week get, and do it again. Yeah. If they don't ask you back, you know that it's not gone very yeah. well. That's, yeah, exactly. that's how it works, isn't it? Yeah, so you were kind of, and you were kind of teaching yourself. Some older commentators would give you a little bit of advice, and there were certainly um, helpful pointers from you know uh, people who'd been in the business for many, many years. But really, you're just uh, kind of ploughing your own furrow. Sounds like it worked. <clears throat> and, and so many different events that you've done. I wondered. I thought I'd ask you quick fire. What's the best stadium? To go to, it's probably the, the principality, as was the Millennium Stadium um, in Cardiff, because it's just the atmosphere there is uh, is incredible. Okay, that's easy. Best Olympics, you've done a few. I well, I mean uh, Rio. Uh, I mean London was the the best of the Olympics I've done, but Rio was the best in terms of my enjoyment because you know I got to do the opening ceremony and 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 was doing the athletics there so it was just when I was doing London I was um I was doing sort of more peripheral sports and didn't really feel actually didn't feel at the the heart of it you know it's um and that's a very selfish thing to to say and I admit that but when you don't feel you know when you're um, there were still some great events. I even enjoyed doing the kayaking, sprint canoeing, and kayaking out at uh, Eton Dorney, and there were some great wins, um, uh, some great you know races to describe. But it was just it wasn't quite the same as being right at the heart of it because the Maracanã Stadium for the opening ceremony in Rio, and then the other the stadium they used for the the athletics, they were you know they were great places to be. And I was so looking forward to Tokyo because it would have been. It would have been even better this year um, because the Japanese are just do their sports so, so well and we're, we're, it would have been fantastic and hopefully will be next year. Yes, it will. It will. At the moment when you thought, I am so glad I'm here to experience this moment, I just couldn't be, couldn't be better anywhere else. Um, I mean, there, there have been a, f a few. And, and I again, bet. I, There's probably a top five, isn't there? Yeah, I mean... I, I mean, describing Wade van Niekerk's world record to win the 400 metres in the Olympics um, in Rio, that was something. Doing my first Six Nations game, you know, sitting in, in Bill McLaren's seat at Murrayfield. 
um, just commentating on the Masters or the Open alongside Peter Alice. Um, mm. And the Ryder Cup at Medina, I remember being, you know, just uh, when things were, you know, the miracle of Medina when Europe were coming back and I was commentating the 17th green um, as the, all the matches came through. It, I, 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 it sounds as if I'm just... Um, <laughs> Being a bit of a bore here, but there've been so many, and it's just they're just just incredible, aren't they? And when I when I you know recall them in my head like this, then I I, you know I do feel so lucky to have done them. Sitting on centre court, doing a you know a Wimbledon final, sitting sitting alongside McEnroe and commentating, and and you know when you're when you're doing that, people say, can you quite believe that you're doing? No, I still can't believe that you know I'm sitting alongside in centre court commentary box because it's places that you've watched growing up, and it's you know voice that you've heard or people that you've watched mm. and suddenly you're alongside them trying not to make John McEnroe angry as you get things wrong. <laughs> it's just, but it's just, a, yeah, it's such a thrill. Do you watch back any of the commentaries that you've done Sometimes, or any but of the matches? I don't, I don't like doing it because I'm a terrible critic of myself because I, but I know when I've made mistakes or it, even the very best commentaries I've done I would think I could do better, so um, I think can I just can I just um, wipe that audio and, and <laughs> record it again so it's in the archive slightly better. <laughs> but not so much to critique yourself, but to watch it as a spectator rather no. than watch it as somebody. No, no, and I don't. And I and and one of the sad parts of it's a minor, minor, minor sad part of the job is that you don't watch sports so much as a fan anymore. You watch it always, uh, and and when because you're working in sport all the time, when you're not commentating on an event, you very rarely watch sport. You just try and get get away from it as much as anything else to keep yourself fresh. You'd go mad if you just watched sport. There's far, far, far more to life than sport. I love sport, but I would you know I'll just go out into the mountains and wander around with the dogs for a bit, or read a good book, or whatever it might be. Mm. Just get away from sport for a while. So you so you've still got that excitement and appetite when you go back to to do it. And you talked about sitting next to John McEnroe in the tennis. There must have been some really long tennis matches where mm. you're just like, this is going on. Well, there, uh, I, I mean, Wimbledon is tremendous fun, but you can get some matches that it's it's quite it's brutal, actually. You can sit there. So we did, I mean, I've done some long matches, not as long as poor old Ron McIntosh, who did um, the Isner Mahu match that went oh, on God. for about... <laughs> 13 years and, <laughs> and he never he never left well I don't know he has the iron constitution and wow. I'm not quite sure how he managed that but um, <laughs> Rob Walker could tell you some tales about that anyway because uh, anyway, he'll stay in his post as well but <laughs> will he yeah, oh god yeah, yeah. but anyway well quite but anyway yeah so we were doing a, we were doing a match which was kind of passed by it was one of the best matches I've ever seen it was um, Nadal against Del Potro in the quarterfinal at Wimbledon uh, in 2018. And it was, Andy Murray was injured, so he came in with, so it was, it was me and Andy Murray and Tim Henman doing commentary, and it was Andy Murray's first commentary. It was up against England-Croatia semi-final of the World Cup on the other channel, so it, it kind of got passed by. It still got, you know, two million people watching it because it, it was one of the best matches I've ever seen. Andy Murray said as much during commentary, but he came in full of the joys as much as Andy can be about, about you know, <laughs> sitting down and doing this commentary. And then after five hours, he was kind of going, I'm never doing this again. Because the, the commentary box is about the size of this room that you can see that I'm sitting in just now. So the yeah. centre court commentary box, it's small, low ceiling. You're kind of hunched over a bit looking at monitors and peering through 
through the window at the court itself. And um, it, it's not good for you at all. You want to be sitting on a Swiss ball or something for your posture oh, and just yeah, doing yeah. some core yeah. exercises as you go along. But it's not good for you. You feel terrible after commentating on a five-hour match. So, And you become so mercenary about it as well. If you're doing a, a men's match, which could go to five sets, if there's somebody who's two sets up, it could be the Antichrist is two sets up on the Archangel Gabriel and you'll still be going, come on, Antichrist, get, let's get this done in straight <laughs> sets so I can go and have some lunch. Um, <laughs> and the heat, occasionally when the, the summer is a hot summer, it must be really hot in there as well. Well, they oh. do. I mean, it, it is uh, air conditioned to within an inch of its life as well. Oh, so is, it goes the other way. But some oh, of them no. aren't. If you're doing a match on, you know, some of the outside courts, then they're not so well air conditioned. They've got a sort of a, a tube of air coming in, but it's pretty feeble. So, you, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, the commentary box at Queen's, uh, I remember getting very, very hot at times. And it's just not... Again, these are minor moans, I would say, bearing in mind what I've just described about the events I've got to cover. But, um, yeah, it can, yeah, can be quite uncomfortable. Yes, stop whinging. Yeah. It's amazing, John. Minor well, discomfort. No, but, and, and you talked about commentating with other sports stars, but the the commentators that you've worked with, like Peter Alice, who who really inspired you, I imagine, Peter Alice being one of them. Well, he did because, and Peter Alice gets a little bit of a bad press from a younger generation, but they don't realise what a great observer he is of things on the television. That's what you've got to be as a commentator, a great observer. And even now at, I think, approaching 90, he will still come up with a line that thinks, what a beautiful, you think, what a beautiful way of describing that. What a very clever way of describing that. Um, I remember Justin Rose with, you know, all the logos on his shirt. I mean, he's got so many logos and sponsors and things like that. And he, and he just, you know, just said... Justin Rose, there's, there's half an hour's light reading on his shirt there, whatever it is. It's just, it's just, a, he's got a lovely turn of phrase and way of observing things. And quite often, commentary, sports commentary, you know, broadcasters, and I would fall into this trap myself occasionally, are so determined to get out a stat that they think is good or a line that they think is good that they're not really watching what's on the screen in front of them. And 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 saying something about what's on the screen that makes people at home go, God, that that is exactly he's so right that he is walking like that or he does look like that or whatever it might be, and Peter yeah. Alice has been brilliant at that. And I, I so I've learned. I would hope I'd have had some of that anyway, naturally. But but learning that from him and timing as well, and learning the power of a silence. Um, you know, when when somebody's, it's very different. The way the Americans do things is you've just got to talk over everything, and it just mm -hmm. suffocates the pictures and the noise that's coming from the, the screen. Whereas you know, if somebody's walking up the 18th and the final hole of the Open Championship, and the noise of the crowd, you just let that noise carry them all the way to the green. You don't have to say anything, and then it sub subsides the noise, and then finally just come in with a, well, that's what they think of. X here at Carnoustie or whatever it might be and it just matches your words match the pictures perfectly without hurting them or damaging them or overpowering them not being afraid of silence oh and... silence is so powerful in, in, in rugby as well you know you put the mic down let the stadium let the singing from the stadium and the noise from the crowd let that be the commentator for a while um, you know if Johnny Sexton's lining up a kick in Dublin the stadium will be quiet and you let that silence speak and it's so much more powerful or pertinent than anything you can say at that time anyway. So please don't, please don't talk. <laughs> I am going to talk again though now. No, you're allowed um, because, to, yeah. Thank you. Um, and you talked about working with Andy Murray and Tim Hemman and so many sports people that I'm sure that you've met have been, had to overcome adversity. 
injury losing so for you when we talked at the beginning of the conversation about lockdown and all this work just disappeared I wondered if they inspired you when you thought I mean you said you put these videos out just like as a bit of a joke but did you have a plan did you think okay I really need to sort sort something out and no. this could be my way out no no plan no plan at all such as complete my accident. life complete accident um <laughs> although after then after the second video because when the first one you know went viral and the second one went super viral it was unfortunate terminology it was but it was it was kind of it, that was um then I suddenly realized well there, there there is something here but it wasn't so much me thinking I've got to boot something something new I've got to find another video it was the demands coming in from people to mm-hmm. to to have another video so you're kind of other people are making those demands of you and then you make those demands of yourself right say I've got to, I've got to please these people these strangers who I've never met I've got to please them <laughs> so um it just kind of went on from there and then I think the the only structure that has been to my and plan there has been to my year has been around um the book which came about after the second video because that really was obviously then a plan that I've got to write this mm. book and then of course you're thinking well if I carry on doing some videos then it maintains the profile of um of Olive and Mabel as well and um so that might help the book but also I did enjoy I've really enjoyed making them and will hopefully continue to enjoy making them because some of them I would like to think get quite um quite creative and and also the reaction they get from people as well really does hearten you and cheer you in a in a sort of Really down year that you're bringing a bit of a bit of fun and levity to to a lot of lives. Everybody knows this year is just crap. Let's just move yeah. on, shall we? But but so while we're doing this, we have to laugh at something. We have to try and yeah. find something funny. So anything is is welcome if, if it happens to be two dogs going trick or treating or trying to build some furniture or going online dating. Then so be it. So, so the first video that was the one where they were eating out the dog bowls. I yes, think. yes, it is that was, right? Yeah. So you posted it, and so did you sort of have a look a bit later and thought, oh, no, it was instant because it was instant. Um, was it? it? It had thousands within seconds. It was just, it was astonishing. Um, and then the the second one was even more so. But so when when that first one happened, you know, you suddenly you're getting texts and messages coming in saying, mm, I think you might have a viral video here, um, and and. It was astonishing, and then it's kind of beguiling as well. You're drawn in, you're watching, and you can't, you know, you pretend that you're not, but you can't help it. It's just going, it's just whirring around. It's wow. Um, so there was no like, right, I'm going to post this video at this time because this is the time you're supposed to post, which is a really, I mean, I don't even know what time that is. No, but then, but uh, well, yeah, but then, I, I mean, a few videos down the line, I was starting to think, right, what is the peak time for releasing? And you look okay. it up and you think, okay, so it's because obviously uh, the weekends aren't good for posting videos okay. no because people okay. are out and about doing things okay. um and so you put them out on a weeknight but then of course the, the thing is the videos had a big take up in north america as well so then you're thinking hmm time zones right i'll release this because it will be <laughs> five hours behind on the east coast and the west coast as well it's eight hours behind right okay okay well i've got in the australian market as well they're interested in them <laughs> So the peak time to do it might be around about nine or ten at night UK time because then they'll be getting up to them in Australia. So I was analysing this far too much, um, and then so I, I realised that it doesn't really matter when you release them because if they're good okay. enough, they'll get picked up they'll... eventually okay. anyway. So, so you've almost become you've changed your skill set almost to from we've talked all about the skills of being a commentator, but you've become a bit of a social media guru and oh God. Uh, video editor. But do you well, find that you've kind of you've, you've you're doing stuff that you would never never have dreamt that you would have done? That has been absolutely the best 
part of the whole um, Olive and Mabel video thing is that I have... I mean, I always, I, I did a couple of, you know, a few awards ceremonies every year and I would do, there was one in particular I would make videos for and make, try and make funny videos for. So I had the, the, that kind of ability in terms of editing beforehand. But um, it, it's, it's been so enjoyable for me to do something different, to do something a little bit more creative, um, to do something slightly more comedic as well, um, because that's always been a huge passion of mine to just try and make people laugh and to it's it's coming up with ideas. It's then following it through. Maybe uh, some of them have been you know quite fully scripted, and so it's it's that as well. And then yeah, it's putting it all together because quite often it, it involves you know quite complicated editing. It might not, and, and the, the art is that it makes it look like it's not complicated editing. Um, I mean, the mockumentary I put out, that really was, that was obviously quite complicated editing. That took a long time to put together. And then you put that out, and that's still my favourite one. Um, yeah, but but then, it, you know, you'll put out you'll put out that, which took two or three weeks to, to get right or what you thought was right, and then it gets the same number of views as, as something that you've just recorded in the back garden that took five minutes, like Mabel stealing <laughs> Olive's bone or something like that. So, <laughs> You're like, that's so frustrating. Yeah, it is, it is but, but it's the, so, yeah, you think, oh, oh, whatever. A lot of it is just depending on what the dogs do and, and their yeah. faces and their ears and something like that. That just appeals. Do you think you are responsible for the uh, massive increase in pet dog ownership <laughs> yes, in the last I, year? I alone am responsible for that. It has been huge though, hasn't it? It's been uh, yeah. so many people have said, oh, I've just got a dog, just got a puppy, just got... I've got and inspired I, by Mabel and Olive and I want to yeah. have the same... Well, they, a lot. I mean, I've seen a lot of people have been saying, oh, "This is our new puppy. She's called Mabel, or she's called Olive." Oh. I think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's uh, it's nice to see that because I love dogs. I hope that people go in with their eyes open. That dogs demand a lot of care and attention, and doing yeah. the right thing. That they're not just getting. I mean, we all, I suppose, get dogs for companionship and as a stave against loneliness or whatever it might be. But I hope that the the way that we feel at the moment doesn't mean that people are getting dogs without realizing just how much work is involved to take but care yeah, of them. Well, yeah, particularly dogs like Mabel and Olive because they need a lot of exercise. And for you, yeah. I imagine the, the, the walking is for you the, the exercise and getting out the best thing about about having the dog, the companionship as well. Mm. I imagine too. Yeah, I mean the walking in the in the mountains I've always enjoyed anyway. But when you do it with the the dogs or you're walking on a beach or whatever it might be and they're swimming swimming in the sea. I don't know. You just feel such a strong connection to them. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's very, very, it's very, very special. He said, and sort of American. It's so special. Well, um, no, but it is. It, it is, is, and it's, and and you do, you, you know, you know that they're enjoying themselves, and they're, they're, they're sort of thinking, you know, thank you for bringing me here, and um, you know, not as explicitly as that, but you, they're having a great time with you, and mm. you've brought them here, and and. And it's just, I don't know, you just feel such a bond with them. And these are the days you'll remember that they, you know, when when our dogs do go and they go far too soon, all you can say is, look, we gave them the best life and we had the best walks and the best time. And Well, I think um, as well, because they give so much and they don't ask for much, do they? they all they ask is, is for a walk and a, and a stroke, really, and food. Well, they're so simple creatures, can, yeah. It's yeah, food so if and you can give that to them... Food and shelter amazing. and a walk now and again. And mm. as long as they have food and they, they feel warm and content and safe and secure, and then they're happy. There we go. We could all learn something from that, couldn't we? We don't, yeah, absolutely. They don't, we don't want all the extra stuff and just, I don't want all this Make stuff that just follows me around the internet saying, you need to yeah. buy this. Have you yeah. got, have you got enough 
food? Do you do a bit of exercise? Do you, are you warm and safe? Then that's all you need. So Mabel is younger, and she is. so how old is Mabel? Mabel's three. They're both uh, approaching their birthdays, though, so they're three and seven at the moment, but approaching okay. four and eight. So special doggy birthday cake very soon, I'm sure. No, nothing. Um, Every day is their <laughs> birthday, so they get nothing special. <laughs> and, but I imagine they, they are aware, when you pointy cameras at them, what is going on. No, uh, you... <laughs> no, God. They're not <laughs> they're aware at all. Come on. <laughs> yeah, here we go, right, filming this one. Right, OK, hit your mark, Olive. Oh, and don't mess it up this time. No, they... I, I, I mean... I don't know what they think when I'm pointing the the, the phone at them, um, but they they obviously it's something very familiar to them. But they don't think um, they don't think wow we're being filmed here because this is my best site. I'm not sure. So yeah, um, it's just something. But they're, they're they're very very used to it. They're very used to me telling them to stay in a certain position for a while, and they know they'll get a biscuit at the end of it. So it's all good. That's I and think they... that's what they did with uh, Paul Newman in the Towering Inferno as well. Just uh, a biscuit <laughs> at the end of the day, and it'll be fine. <laughs> And um, they've been to some book signings with you. They, do they ever come to any sporting events? Do they ever come to the golf? Or, uh, or is it just too much hassle? I have no, too much hassle. They have been to a couple of press conferences before rugby and, uh, and golf. But they haven't. Uh, they've trotted around the media centre at the Women's British Open. They did it. Uh, Olive did. This was pre-Mabel, and just said hello to everybody. Uh, yeah, they haven't. No, they haven't been to any. I'd love to have them alongside me, just sitting there alongside me at... Uh, you know, Twickenham or Murrayfield or Augusta. Imagine that, sitting there. Uh, just, wow. Yeah. When I started out in radio, I was at this really dodgy radio station in Coventry, whereas, like, you'd go in, and I was doing a show at midnight, and you'd go in, and one night, then all the CD players had been nicked. And so I used to go in, in a baseball cap and take one of our dogs with, a, with me, and she would just go under the desk while I was broadcasting and just fall asleep. And you know when dogs have doggy dreams? Mm, <laughs> so yeah. one time you're on air, and all you can hear in the background is that... <laughs> so she was just the most useless guard dog but it's oh. um you know take a lot of people do take their dogs to work with them now so maybe it will happen center yeah. court center court in between me and, and McEnroe <laughs> poor old Mabel yeah. looking at McEnroe just going oh, my ears have gone it'll, back I'm very very scared <laughs> it'll calm him down yeah. but and for you as well I guess for out the whole of this it's just been weird being the interviewee because you're used to being the interviewer Yes, yes, very, very uh, strange. Doing a lot of uh, a lot of interviews. I mean, that's one of the things about also um, that I've learned about um, you know getting a book out there is writing the book is nine tenths of it. The, uh, sorry, one tenth of it. The rest of it <laughs> is publicity. It's just extraordinary. I, I, I um, you know, writing the book was was hard work, but it was it was you you were in sort of control of it. Whereas then you set it free. And you watch it rising and falling in the charts, and your your mood <laughs> rises and falls with it. And you think, oh God's sake, why am I now behind? Why am I now behind the highway code in nonfiction? That's not fair. Although it's quite a popular, quite a popular uh, piece of literature. I don't think you, that's not true. That's not true. What well, is? No, no, the highway code's right up there. So I'm definitely behind. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because you imagine the amount of people buying the highway code. It's um, wow. Yeah, it's very I popular. Thought- I would have thought it was all online now, but okay. But, but it's, right. it's, it's weird, though, because you do an interview on BBC Breakfast Television and suddenly your book just shoots up to the top of the charts and then it gradually yeah. ebbs away. It just starts <laughs> yeah. yeah, Oh, God, I've got to do another big interview. Who, who can I speak to? <laughs> but then everybody at this time of year, this year, is releasing a book. And so if you're yeah. up against Matthew McConaughey or Barack Obama or Don French or whoever it is... Who who do you think the radio stations are going to want to speak to? Well, well I don't so know. so exactly. Um, mm, who, who can we have on Radio Two? We've got uh, Barack Obama's people have been in touch. Also, Andrew Cotter sent an email. Um, I think we're going to go with 
Olive and Mabel. Um, yeah, definitely. And then you try and explain to people, sometimes the producers have, well, a lot of the producers have seen the Olive and Mabel videos and they get in touch because they've um, they've enjoyed them. But you try selling, selling this book to people who have no idea about the Olive and Mabel videos. Well, it's a book about me and my dogs and that's it. So can I come on your <laughs> network TV program, please? Send them the video, then they'll understand yeah. it, honestly. So if we were to look back at the pivotal moments in your career so far. I mean, first one would be lockdown, because that's been a massive yeah. pivotal a pivot. moment. That's what the Americans keep going. They keep saying, hey, great pivot. This guy <laughs> done a great pivot. But you can, you're gonna pivot back as well. I yeah. guess you're gonna carry on doing, doing a bit of both. But looking back, it, it was just um, being that waiter, wasn't it? And and despite spilling a bit of champagne, deciding I, I want to get- really, yeah. There were, I mean, three, Three key moments. That that's not moments, but at times in my life, that that would be it there when I realised that this is what I want to get into. Then getting to London, uh, getting to the the BBC, just as a freelancer, but again getting to the BBC, and then and that was on the recommendation of a, a chap called Andy Gillis, who because you can knock away at the door for a long time on your own and send demos in, as was the way at the time, and you won't get anywhere. But if someone in the BBC and he he was. Um, you know, in, in Five Live, he recommended me to somebody at Five Live, and then suddenly you get the chance. So you've got to have the ability and the desire to do it, um, but you've also got to have, usually quite often it's a recommendation. Um, and, and so that was that was probably the, the, the second main point. And then, I mean, I suppose there are lots what of What was points. number three? Number three, three, number three, yeah, number three was this this year, the dog videos. So, oh, of course. Was that. So, yeah, yeah but, yes. but lots of little points along the way. But I think the key one is um, getting your foot in the door at the at the mm. BBC, because once you're in as well, you know, then you've really got the chance to do something with it. But it's getting in. And I can understand how frustrating it must be for so many youngsters trying to get into to broadcasting now. But if people ask me for advice, I, I, I say I don't because it's so long ago that I did it, I don't know what the way in now is. And I, I'd imagine that the way in is actually to start broadcasting yourself on YouTube, to start yeah. doing things, because the landscape is shifting so much. It's not, when I started, it was, I did a little bit of work experience on a local newspaper, then I did local radio, then into, you know, network radio and television. And that is a, that was a well-trodden path. Whereas now you can broadcast yourself. If, if you can, think of a good way to do things and building an, an audience slowly because um, yeah everybody can be a television channel of their own now. Mm, I think you're right absolutely things have changed and uh, also work hard I think that's what you said at the beginning you worked what was it 64 days and maybe I don't recommend I got that. to work hard it's just show up and show up on time and I, I yeah and there are a lot of people out there who want to be and see the glitz and the glamour and think I want to do that I can guarantee you that everybody who's has that glitz and glamour shining upon them as working their arse off as well. You know, mm. nobody gets there just by being lucky and, and then just swans in and does the job, you know, whoever it is, you know, Anton Dick or whoever, you know, they, they, they'll all work their socks off yeah. to do yeah. what they do. It's it's like when you're doing the, 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 the Olympics. I mean, if you're doing athletics at um, the Olympics, you know, you've got, you've got 10 days of just, it's, just solid. I mean, the so this is what the Olympics would have been for me this year if I'd gone. You'd go and do the opening ceremony. Oh, don't make yourself upset. No, but just, no, but just to, to, so you do the opening ceremony, which would be a, a full week of prep on every country and getting ready for that. Re I mean, wow. really stressful. And then you do the opening ceremony. Then I would have done the rugby sevens for a few days. Then I would, have, you know, straight into that. Then I would have done um, uh, the athletics. Then I would have done the closing ceremony. And that would have come at the end of a run, which would have been 
two weeks solid of Wimbledon, straight to the Open Championship and straight on a plane to Tokyo to do the Olympics. Now, these are great jobs. These are it's fantastic to be able to be in these places and do this job. But never let anybody um, tell you that it's it's not work as well. And it's the one time I get a little bit narky with people. They say, oh, yeah, poor you traveling around the world covering sport. Of course, it's a brilliant job. And of course, I'm so lucky to do it. But oh, my God, there's work involved, as there should be. Yeah. But um, but yeah. you really do have to work at it. For you, what next? I mean, it must be, be actually talking about all the traveling to have been at home for such a long period of time and getting out in Cheshire and, yeah. and walking with the dogs. But for you, you must be looking forward to some normality hopefully in 2021 and those olympics but also you're going to carry that alongside the whole oliver mabel thing the hollywood offer is that happening <laughs> well no i think <laughs> i think things like that might have passed us by but um i'll, I'll continue to do things if i can think of the ideas because I, I like i say i enjoy doing that slightly different creative that just that different um way of working and and doing things. But yes, I think we're all looking for some normality and stability and just feeling that we can do the, the the normal, usual things in life that give us pleasure, whether it's, you know, going to the cinema or the theatre or going to a sporting event or a festival or or just going out to cafes and restaurants and not worrying about everything. And mm. I know that things will be better in the future. It's just at the moment they are pretty grim and uh, we've all had to, you know, sort of adapt is the, is the key word, adapt or pivot or whatever it might be. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to... To normal life whenever that comes back. Well, thank goodness for Oliver Mabel and thank you so much for giving, you know, I'm, I'm sure everyone has said this to you many times over, but for giving a lot of people a lot of a lot of joy, you know, people even like my parents who don't have access to the internet, I've still managed to forward videos to them and they've really enjoyed it and I think it's wonderful that you've just brought so much joy to people all around the world, Australia, America, you yeah. said. Well, you? I'm glad and I'm glad they'll enjoy the, the book that you're going to get them twice for Christmas so that's that very is, nice of you because you made correct. that promise off here, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course I did. Yes, and watch it go back up the charts ahead oh of the God. highway code. Highway code, in your face, highway code. Right. Andrew, thank you so much for talking to me. All right, thanks, Andrew. Cheers. Thank you, Andrew. Mustn't forget to buy the book. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Andrew Cotter, and we're on there too at Where Go Right. If you love sport, we've got heaps of episodes with other sporting people on. Henry Moran from Test Match Special, Paralympian Adi Adipatan, broadcaster Rob Walker, journalist and writer Oliver Holt, and Formula One reporter Holly Samos. Thank you so much to Megan for producing this week's episode and Laura Shipsey for the music. See you next week. This episode of Where Did It All Go Right is sponsored by Pearson. Pearson is the world's learning company, supporting talent and helping everyone to make progress in their lives through learning. Working with teachers and education experts, Pearson provides a wide range of qualification routes so you can pick the course which suits you best to develop your skills and stand out in the crowd. Visit them online at go.pearson.com forward slash where did it all go right.